Mac Voices Live at the Silicon Valley Macintosh Users Group. This is Mac Voices. Today's Mac Voices is supported by Mac Voices After Dark. Uncensored, off-topic, and always off the wall. Mac Voices After Dark is available as a benefit to our Patreon subscribers. Sign up at patreon.com slash macvoices. Welcome to Mac Voices. This is the talk of the Apple community, and I'm Chuck Joyner. Folks, a couple notes on this particular program. This was a live recording of a presentation done for the Silicon Valley Mac user group with Jeff Gamut and Jim Ray. Because we were using their system to record and not the one I usually use, things are going to look a little different and sound a little different, but I still think you will enjoy it. We did break the presentation down into two parts, so it's a little easier for you to uh, to enjoy. So let's get right to it uh, with the Silicon Valley Mac user group. Welcome to Mac Voices. This is the talk of the Apple community, and I'm Chuck Joyner. Folks, this is a special Mac Voices Live. We are presenting to the Silicon Valley Mac user group. Silicon Valley, thank you so much for having us. It's great to see you all. I know that uh, the folks on the recording probably won't see you, but maybe they'll hear you occasionally. And I brought along a couple friends uh, to to help out today. Um, first off, Mr. Jeff Gamut is here. Jeff, welcome. Good to see you. Chuck, it's always great to see you. And uh, th- this is actually pretty cool, getting to have a, a, a live audience that's an actual user group and also silicon valley mac user group is uh, pretty awesome absolutely absolutely also with us is mr jim ray the the developer in this little panel jim welcome it's good to have you uh i think this is actually not my first time at this at the silicon valley group i think i presented to them in person back in the early 90s wow Back when you were just a kid. Back when all of us were just kids, right? <laughs> I didn't know they had presenters that uh, as, as, for, as, as three-year-olds, Jim. So that, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the SVMUG has asked us to talk a little bit about the WWDC announcements. And, of course, we've done this now, I think, for two different panels on Mac Voices Live. Um, there's no shortage of commentary out there. So trying to put maybe a little bit different spin on it, because we certainly are not going to go back and review everything. Um, that would just be a complete waste of everyone's time. But what I thought we might start off with are, is what, if, if you had to pick one, what is the most important announcement Apple made at WWDC this time around? And you can be as specific or as general as you like. And Jim, I'm going to start with you since you're the developer in the group, uh, because this was, after all, the developers' conference. Um, well, um, and this is weird because I can't see myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, <clears throat> you know, at the risk of repeating myself, I you know, I think the biggest thing to me was not an announcement per se, but just how prominent the Macintosh was all week long. Um, if you go back, say, five years ago, the Mac was practically invisible at WWDC. Um, it was almost never mentioned, um, you know, and everything they came out with was just for iOS and iPad. Um, and uh, at this year's, you know, the Mac was everywhere. Almost every announcement of a new feature was, 
you know, well, this is available on iOS, iPad, and and Macintosh. They kept saying that over and over again. Uh, one of the most prominent new things was shortcuts for Mac. So, you know, uh, definitely a Mac feature. And, um, you know, so as a Mac developer, because that's what I am, I, you know, I'm just so happy to to see so much attention put on the Mac and where, you know, five years ago, a lot of us were wondering like, well, what is the future of the Mac? You know, is it Apple even going to keep it? And now, you know, that's all turned around. And obviously the future of the Mac looks, looks very bright. Good. I, I love that perspective because I think it's so easy to sort of overlook that uh, and get bogged down in individual announcements. And I love that sort of 30,000 foot view and pointing out that the Mac is back and it looks like it's here to stay. You know, it, it, just a slight follow up too was I can't remember if it was two or three years ago when I guess when they first announced Catalyst. So I think it was three years ago because they weren't chipping it, but they announced it. And they had this big, are we merging the Mac and, and iOS? And they had this slide, no. You, you guys remember that? Um, and, you know, it's really kind of weird because that seems like that's exactly where they're they're headed. Like that slide was completely, you know, not what happened. But it seems, you know, at the time, I think they were trying to head off people worrying that the Mac was going to go away by becoming, you know, iOS or something. But it really seems like they pulled both, you know, like I, I, especially iPad OS has become a lot more like Mac OS and Mac's gotten some things, you know, so they are kind of bringing them together, but in a way that really enhances both of them. So, so not subsuming the Mac being subsumed by uh, iOS, keeping both going, you know, the best parts of each platform, but definitely the Mac is continuing to be the Mac and move forward and exciting things are happening. I definitely want to come back to that point, Jim. So don't, don't let me forget it. Um, but I want to get to Jeff and find out, Jeff, do you want to pick something specific? Or are you going to go general? What do you think was the most influential or important thing Apple did at uh, WWDC this year? I'm going a little bit more general and I, I'm actually building off of what Jim was saying. And I think the the big announcement this year was unification. And, and by that, I mean taking all of these different elements that we have on, on different platforms. So we have Mac as a platform, iPad as a platform, and an iPhone as a platform. And, uh, and bringing them together in a way where they, they work uh, more seamlessly as unique platforms but also as a shared platform, if that makes sense at all. And seeing this tighter integration between the, the devices that Apple offers and the operating systems, that to me was, uh, was a really big thing. And I think it's, it's Apple tipping their hand, so to speak, about uh, where they're headed. And so to hop to, to what Jim said about the big slide coming down, no, we are not having a, a single operating system. I think that remains true and will continue to remain true. But what we will see, which, uh, which Jim already said, so I'm totally backing you up on this one, 
we're seeing the best features that are appropriate to move to the other devices happening. And, uh, and I think that's, that's good because if there's something that, uh, that works really well on the Mac and can work equally well on say an iPad, why not let that happen? And, uh, and at the same time, keeping in mind as developers that these are different devices. You have different ways of, of interacting with the user interface and, uh, and even very fundamental things like how do you interact with documents on these devices? So I don't see this becoming a, uh, a single operating system across all devices, but but this nice, tighter integration across all of the platforms to make it easier to jump to the to the device that's appropriate for the task that you need to perform at this moment. Okay, those are a couple of really great answers. I want to try to mash them up a little bit. Um, Jeff, to follow up on your comment, though, uh, oh, I wish I could quote you exactly how you just said it, but the device that's most appropriate for the task, I think, is is sort of what you said. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I find the whole debate over, you know, iOS, iPad, iPhone, you know, just kind of uh, kind of pointless. Um, because, yeah, if, if there's a, a tool that is best suited to the task, then that's the one you want to choose. If if it's a task that can be done maybe maybe not necessarily equally well, but maybe just in different ways on different devices, then then do that. And if you have to do a, a device a, a task on a device that is not the optimal device for that, then make it as good as you can. Mm-hmm. So, it, 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 I, but that seems to be something that gets lost in all these debates of of iOS versus Mac OS and iPad versus iPhone and Mac versus iPad and, and all that. Well, we, we do have this almost ironic platform battle happening with, and I'm using the term battle loosely uh, because there are people that say the Mac is the only platform you can use for a specific task. Let's, let's use movie editing as an example. The Mac is the only platform that you can use for movie editing. Well, for some people, yes. For other people like me, LumaFusion is actually the better place for me to do that video editing. So I do it on an iPad Pro. And so we're seeing this kind of uh, platform battle happening with Apple users about uh, iPad versus iPhone versus Mac. And it wasn't that long ago when that battle was Mac versus Windows. So I suppose in in that sense, if Apple's going to have a a platform battle, it might as well be internal because because, uh, whoever wins, ultimately Apple wins. Before the meeting started, we were having a little informal discussion about uh, Microsoft Office and the pros and cons of of that and Google's, uh, Google's Office suite and the pros and cons of that. So taking the fight internal between the devices, that's a really interesting point that the other platforms don't seem to have. And I kind of think it's a nice problem to have because it means that people are passionate about each of those respective platforms within the Apple ecosystem. Well, uh, at some point a few years ago, at this point many years ago, uh, 
it was probably Steve Jobs, but it might have been someone else inside Apple, said that uh, if you're going to have uh, platform cannibalization, the best way to have it is internally. So if you're going to cannibalize the Mac, you might as well do it with the iPad or the iPhone. Jim is a Mac developer. Is there a particular reason that you never, you have not decided to move over into iOS development? Uh, or is it because you think the Mac is the best platform for the, the kind of programming that you do and the kind of uh, application that you publish? For one thing, it, it's one reason is because I, I have a small organization and you know, resources are limited and you can only do so many things. Um, and, you know, definitely in the past and still to a, to a large extent, um, you know, that you can't take most of your investment in programming for one platform and move it to the other. Now, Apple's been making it so that you can take your investment in, in, um, iOS software and use it to move to the Mac, but that doesn't really work the other way. You can't, you can't take software written for AppKit, which is the, the framework for the Mac and, um, move it to iOS. Um, and I don't think that's probably going to happen per se. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, like the platforms are different in that one of them's touch first, the other is indirect pointer first. Um, and also on the iOS side, it's basically mostly full screen, you know, one thing at a time. They've, they've addressed that a little bit where um, the Mac is windowed and it's, it's really, you know, Basically, on, on iOS, things are set up, but they're, they're more siloed, and every app has its own sandbox, so they, they, it's very difficult for apps to talk to each other and, and, and create a workflow where you're, you're moving from, from one thing, you know, one app to another. So, and, and part of that is just an artificial thing that Apple has set up and, and you know, continues to work that way. So, you know, I, I don't see it in terms of like what the Mac is good at is when you need to use multiple apps to uh, achieve a task and not just one. So if you can, you know, like LumaFusion, good example, because you, you, when you're working in LumaFusion, you're just working in LumaFusion. Mm -hmm. um, but if you need to go, you know, share between a bunch of apps, the Mac really facilitates that and iOS still doesn't. Um, so, okay. So one of the solutions I, I, I believe, and I think, um, our, our, our co-panelist, Brittany Smith is a big advocate of this is shortcuts on iOS. And she apparently, she is a shortcuts wizard and she, you know, has, I mean, I think on the last show she mentioned, she had a shortcut that has 400, 400, 400 steps. 400 components. So there's something to be said for the ability to maybe build many applications like that that will help move between move data and information between apps. But that yeah, begs but the question, should you have to? Fundamentally, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and now they've got that on both, <laughs> both apps. But um, 
you know, for example, you know, the iOS, it has no universal file system. You can't put a file in a place, you know, and, and make it easy for one app to work on it and then another one. Um, you know, they have built the files out, but, you know, still a lot of, of, of shortcomings to that. Um, and each app stores documents in a sandbox where they're, you know, isolated from each other. Right now, I'm, you know, I'm on my Mac and just looking at my screen, I've got one, two, three, five apps that I can see right now. And that's kind of low because I've got my, my, you know, WebEx screen enlarged, but I, you know, I can arrange things. So I'm like, oh yeah, that app's over there and I can just click then I'm there and then I'm there. I can arrange four windows, you know, an arrangement that I can click between different apps and just do, 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 and I can see all of them and easily work back and forth. You just can't do that on iOS yet. Now, I, I love my iPad and my iPhone. I use it all the time, but not for that kind of, kind of thing. And actually, you know, Probably my biggest disappointment for for WWDC this year is I I was hoping that they would c- come up with a way to run macOS on iPad Pros. You know, obviously the new iPad Pros have the same processor, same memory, same storage as all the latest Macintoshes. They're the same computer except the iPad has Touch, um, and the Macs don't. Um, so there's clearly no technical reason why Mac software could not run on an M1 uh, iPad. Um, not necessarily booting into it, but uh, I'm thinking like a virtual machine, like sort of like Parallels, and being able to to run Mac software uh, on on the iPad that way. So you know, why should I have to choose? You know, if I buy a $2,500 machine, if I need to run Mac software every now and then. I should be able to do that on my $2,500 machine. Um, and, I, and I think it's going to happen. So it didn't happen this year. Maybe it'll happen next year. But it, it's just like, you know, it's the obvious elephant in the room. Um, I've been seeing more and more, you know, pundits and whatever opine on that idea. So too bad it didn't happen this year. Maybe they're just not quite ready. Apple likes to, to you know, get everything lined up. and. Um, but you know, I think it'll it'll happen. Maybe it'll happen next year. But uh, I, you Jim, know, I don't think it's happening next year. I I think that's several years off. If it happens, this is one of those places where um, uh, we we all can absolutely agree. It would be absolutely awesome because there's, as you said, there's no reason hardware wise where an iPad with an M1 processor can't run a Mac app. So why not let it happen? And I think this is one of those places where Apple is going to keep an artificial distinction for quite a while to keep to keep those platforms clearly distinct. If you want to run Mac apps, well, that means you have to get a Mac. But that can also run iPad apps because it's a Mac. But if you get an iPad, well, that's an iPad. That means you're running iOS apps, and uh, and I don't see that distinction changing. It, it, it could be, but I think you know that's purely a business decision. It's not a technical decision. Oh, totally. My 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 guess is that it's already you know they are they have prototypes, you know, running inside the spaceship right now. And oh, totally. It's just a question of you know if they're gonna, and I I just think it's something irresistible that. You know, there's got to be a lot of people in Apple that want it. And, uh, 
you know, I, I'm not predicting that it's next year, but I, I don't think it's going to be five years away because it's just too artificial. And it's going to become more so as the iPads become even more powerful. And and they're going to have a hard time selling $2,500 iPads that don't run. And, and who would have predicted that Macs would run iPhone software? You know, nobody predicted that. And I think everybody would have said, oh, Apple will never, ever, ever in a million years do that. And whoop, they did it last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, that's always like Apple's like, oh, we'll never do this. You know, nobody wants to have movies on their iPod. Oh, here's movies on your iPod. You know, nobody wants mm-hmm. to have a cursor device on your iPad. They didn't even save that for WWDC. So, you know, until they do it, they're always like, no, 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 that's a terrible idea. Uh, I think this is an irresistible idea that will absolutely happen. You know, you know we'll probably be surprised, including me, but... Um, you know, I'll be shocked if you know three years from now it hasn't happened. And I struggle with with this idea a little bit. I, I first of all, I agree with you and Jeff both that technically there's no reason, and almost certainly there are prototypes running inside the spaceship. No question about hey, it. Hey Chuck, I'm going to uh, expand on that for you. There's Please. no way that Apple has not had Intel, or excuse me, not Intel, but uh, but earlier, uh, A-series iPads running macOS. Yes. Oh I, oh, I agree. I agree. Okay, but, and, and this was just asked to me privately uh, in a private message in our chat room, but why would we want that? And that's kind of where I stand on this. Um, I just got a new iPad. I just got the Magic Keyboard for it. It's very nice. No question about it. It's got the trackpad. It's got the keys. It's great. But if it were running Mac OS, then I would kind of look at it and say, oh, you know, what's the difference between this and the MacBook Air that I have? Both of excuse me, both of them are running M1 chips. Obviously, the differences between Mac OS and iOS, we all know what those are. But and and I've and that's something I want to come back to as well. But I, I look at it and say, okay, do, would I and that's a case where I really wouldn't need both machines. But I feel like that it, unless you were going to create a dual boot machine, I feel like I would I would not be having the best experience. I would be forced into one platform or the other, and that <laughs> that just doesn't resonate with me. I'm afraid. Um, yeah, I, you know, in the dual boot machine, because Mac OS right now, as far as I know, and Jim, maybe you can speak to this better than I can. Um, does it have touch controls? in it so well, that you know i or or would they be overlaid with basically the mouse pointer kind of thing i don't i i'm not imagining although i i would guess that they do have you know machine you know ipads that boot into um, mac os at apple but i i don't think they will release that i i think about how parallels work you have a mac and then you click on an icon and suddenly you can run windows apps but you know it's still a Mac, and and you've got Mac you know apps running. But you you click on Parallels, and now and and now you've got a Windows window, and you run Windows apps inside of that, right? And that's what I'm imagining. So uh, uh, think about it right now. If you could take your two machines, 
right? So, and first of all, how many people do you think have two machines like that? Most people can't afford to buy an M1 iPad and an M1, you know, MacBook Air, although Apple would love that, but most people can't do that. Most people can only buy one. So right now they have to pick. Apple's making them pick. And what I'm saying, you know, this would this would let more people buy the higher end iPads. Um, and yeah, they probably, you know, most of those people probably wouldn't also buy a MacBook Air, but they might buy an iMac or, you know, some other Mac. Um, but anyway, you take your iPad, you've got your you've got your your Mac sitting there, and you can run like a screen share program, like Remotex is the one I use, but there's tons of them that do VNC screen sharing, right? You take a screen share, you take take screen sharing you know, VNC program, and you can, you know, hook your iPad into your Mac and you can run your Mac from your iPad. And it's going to be kind of hard if you don't have a, you know, a trackpad or a mouse hook to your iPad, but you can do that. And people do that now, like they'll, you know, maybe they need to remotely, you know, do something. But, but so what I'm envisioning is that same sort of experience where you could be run a Mac inside one iPad app. Um, and and then you know when you're done and you want to get back to the, the normal things you do with an iPad, you just flick at the bottom, and you're back to being an iPad and not not dual booting. Uh, so I don't think they'd want to boot into it because then you've got all kinds of problems about the sandbox and you know what you know the Mac can run stuff that's not in the uh, App Store and stuff like that. But if they, they just have all that in, in one sandbox app, so you don't have to worry that the Mac software is going to escape and, you know, do bad things on the on the cell network. That's another reason. Like, you can't buy a Mac with a with a 5G, you know? So I'd like, you know, a lot of people would like to have a Mac with cellular connection. That would be a way to do it. That wraps up the first part of our visit to the Silicon Valley Macintosh user group with Jeff Gamet and Jim Ray. We'll be back with part two in the final part next time on Mac Voices. Until then, and as always, I'm Chuck Joyner. Thanks for watching. Visit macvoices.com for show notes and to connect with Chuck on social media. Get involved in our Facebook group or like our Facebook page and get more out of your Apple tech with Mac Voices magazine, free on Flipboard and on the web. And if you find value in it all, consider supporting us through either our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash macvoices or by making a one-time donation via the PayPal link on our front page and in the show notes of each episode. You will join these fine people who help bring you Mac Voices. Advertising handled by Backbeat Media at backbeatmedia.com Bandwidth provided by CashFly at CashFly.com.